Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Deja, can you start by telling us about yourself and your family? So my name is Deja. I am 26 now. I have to remember like where we at. Um, I'm married to my very best friend and we currently have two little girls, a four-year-old and a now three-month-old at the time of this recording. I like do a lot of things. I feel like I, I'm dibbling and dabbling in so many things professionally. Um, so birth work is, is a big part of my life, even though I'm not on call in this season with, you know, being with my own little baby. Um, but I want to say I've been in birth work for just about four years now. It was just around the time when I had my first daughter that I jumped in. So that's exciting to see the years stack up and the knowledge and wisdom built there. Um, but I dibble and dabble in other things. So marketing and and supporting people who are influencers on LinkedIn and like really just other stuff that has nothing to do with birth. Um, but my passion lays in like this space of pregnancy and birth and really um, parenthood, motherhood, and really having conversations around um, the stuff that people aren't getting uh, with, hey, you know, you need the village, but the village doesn't seem to be around. So having the conversations where people know, like, I'm not alone. So that's a little bit about me. Yes. And to add on to that, um, you are actually here to share your second story with us. Um, for those who are have been in the BSI community, know that we had you on to share your birth story. We just calculated the time three years ago. Um, and now you're here for your second story, which we are so grateful for. But can you start off by telling us a little bit about that pregnancy? Yes. So my pregnancy with this baby. So her name is Sakina. Um, I got pregnant early 2022. Um, in March is when we found out. And so very unexpected, similar to like my first time around, it wasn't necessarily something we were planning for, but not something that was unwelcome, just very like, okay, we have another little baby. Um, and so immediately this time around, knowing so much more than I knew the first time around, um, I was four weeks and already like, you know, who's the doula going to be? Because I was like, I'm not going to be my own doula. So I'm not about to sit here and try to doula myself. Um, I just know me and I know I can be in my head too much and I can overthink too much. And so I'm like, immediately, who's going to be the doula? immediately looking into who provided home birth midwifery in my area um just immediately going into like birth planning really i kind of like didn't really even sit in the i'm pregnant and just like just kind of sit with that for a moment um i definitely jumped into what does this birth experience look like this time around and how am i going to make that different so that's kind of like the overarching theme of how my pregnancy went was always this like looming thought in the back of my head is, is what I'm doing right now going to help me have a different birth experience? So for those who aren't familiar without the deep dive into the other birth story, um, my first birth experience was very traumatic, very different than what I had planned for. So I planned to be at home the first time around. 
things completely went left field. I ended up at the hospital. I ended up with like this botched epidural that caused all these complications afterwards. Um, and so this time around, I almost didn't even sit in the, again, the pregnancy and what do I feel about being pregnant? It was automatically, how do I make sure this time around is different? I think that's a an important place to pause in how the mind works anyway, when it comes to trauma, like once we've experienced something, there's this continual trying to fix it, right? Like this idea that we can go back and fix it or make something better um, the next time or when we're presented with something similar because it's been so such a deep hurt and pain that our minds just automatically go into that mode. And then this time around, you actually have this boatload of knowledge that you didn't have, not only from a doula perspective, but about yourself and how you made it through that and who you are as this new being after your first birth anyway. Exactly. Um, Yeah, those, those are exact words that I would use with, I learned so much about myself over the past four years of having my daughter Kaya, my first baby, learned so much about myself. And and I was 20, 21, 22 when I had her. So I'm just like, you know, you're already on a self-learning journey as a, you know, a young adult. But then to add, add a kid in the mix is like, like, accelerate whatever you're doing. Um, and so learn so much about myself and then to be so entrenched in the birth world, to be so entrenched in supporting other people, through their experiences and to have the knowledge I assumed would be the perfect mixture of, again, like this is going to be different, right? And so it was different, but I feel like it presented its own um, challenges. I would say it presented its own challenges in the mix that I wasn't, I didn't think of beforehand. I was just like, yeah, when I'm pregnant again, like this is going to be great because I know all the things. But going back to the fact of me being such an overthinker, such an analyzer, um, pregnancy, birth, parenthood are none of those things. Like they they don't ask of us to show up with all of the the answers perfectly, the textbook stuff, because none of it is textbook most of the time. And so um, just to go back to like kind of my experience in pregnancy I mean, it was beautiful overall. I think I had a very um, good pregnancy from the physical aspect. So I'll touch on that part. I um, went to the chiropractor, the massage therapist, and I did something called floating, which I don't know if y'all have heard of floating, float therapy before, but I'm going to put some people on game before I keep going. So float therapy is essentially... Um, it's like a pod. They describe it as like a float pod, like large enough for you to lay in and float, but like a small little tub that is filled with like thousands of pounds of Epsom salt. So thousands of pounds of it. So essentially you get in the pod and you can't sink. You float naturally because of how much is in there. Um, so there's so many benefits to people in general, whoever wants to float, but specifically people who are pregnant because you are like weightless and the the salt and the magnesium is so good for the body. Um, and it just takes pressure off. Like there is no 
there is no like pregnancy pillow or or you know um some type of foam that can compare to being weightless in water and so all of that to say i went to float i went to the massage therapist and i went to the chiropractor every single week starting from eight weeks pregnant so i went to three places every single week fortunately this time around we we had the funds to do that because that's not paid for by anybody's insurance it should be specifically like chiropractic care um so thankfully we had the means to do so but i was at these places every week faithfully and they're like you know we can space this out and i'm like no we you know we're doing this um just with the thought in my head again like this is going to be different and so that was a big way in which I prepared physically was just staying on top of seeking professional services in that way. Um, Of course, staying on top of like my eating and drinking. And once my midwife was like, you need more, you know, you need a different form of hydration, like try this coconut water. And I was drinking coconut water, like it was nobody's business. So the physical aspect of preparing for this pregnancy was there was nothing that was missed is what I'm going to say. There was nothing that I did not do in the yoga and make sure I'm like, there was nothing that was missed because again, I was like, with not having the answers the first time around of like, why didn't my body progress in the way I thought it would? And why did I have to move to the hospital? I was determined that this time it won't be because of physically this time, my body is going to um, be, you know, whatever optimal way. Again, birth is unpredictable. I have no answers as to if the first time around it had something to do with my body not doing what it needed to do, right? There are so many factors, but just the needing the closure of that birth experience still and almost using this pregnancy and this birth experience as a way of like, again, like I'm determined that this is going to be different. And so I recommend all of those things to people, you know, as a doula. Um, But just like, I think sometimes there can be a setup for disappointment when we try to check boxes of if I do these things, I should be able to guarantee this type of experience. Um, And so yeah, that's just another piece of the pregnancy part that I was just I was going crazy on everything that I could do physically, definitely. So when you were doing your preparation, you definitely, like you said, hit all the marks. Did you tap into any of the like mental health supports during your pregnancy too? Ooh, don't call me out. Don't call me out because it it's something that um, floated across my mind. It was definitely something that was, there were many times that I pulled up and would Google, um, I think the website is like black girls either need therapy or black girls therapy, something like that. And I would like pull them up and like peruse and say, I should be in therapy right now. Um, There weren't any like major hardships happening at that time. My husband was away though for the majority of my pregnancy. Um, so I guess that is a major hardship in my head because that's like my, that's my partner in crime. That's like my, the person who gets me. And so he was away working my whole pregnancy and he would come home 
you know, every five weeks for like two or three days. And so he was not there to see me grow day to day. He would come back, you know, a month later and I'm bigger and I'm waddling now and I have more pains. And um, so that was definitely something. But I would say overall, I had a very sound mental state during that time. But I still knew like a piece of me was like, I, I could seek this out. Like it's it's helpful to seek it out and be proactive, you know, with your mental health versus a reactionary, I need somebody immediately right now. And so to answer your question, mental side of things and seeking like support in that area, I didn't, even though again, I had the means to this time. I had the, I had the funds that like I could have tapped into whatever resource that I wanted to. And I didn't. I didn't. That's not uncommon, right? I mean, a lot of people, especially in pregnancy, it's not even that it's necessarily forgotten. It's that we don't know how important it is or how much something, just like you kind of dismiss the fact that your partner was gone (laughs) the whole pregnancy at first. You're like, oh, nothing big was happening. But that was huge. That was really big. Um, But that's how we are often, especially as black women. It's kind of like, these are the breaks. This is what we do. This is how we left foot, right foot. You know, every day we just show up. Um, so it's not uncommon. A lot of people, and, and therapy is just different, right? You just, you have to be ready to go, to go anyway. Like you have to be ready <laughs> because they're going to ask you what you want to talk about. They're not going to tell you what to talk about. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to be ready. <laughs> so, right. So sometimes it doesn't happen in the timing, right? I, we can throw that idea, especially as doulas to our clients, like, it's nice. It's a good idea to start a conversation in the prenatal stages leading into whichever stage of motherhood it is. Um, and just the trauma, of course, again, just the background from the first pregnancy. Sometimes those things just need to be hashed out, you know. But you had an opportunity to do that with us when you shared your story. Um, but that that's part of it. That was part of, you know, you really un, unpacking some of those things. But, yeah, it is a continuous thing. It's not always like, well, I talked about it, you know, or I processed it. Sometimes healing is just continuous. It's not really an end. So because th- other things bring it back up. So Yes, absolutely. Once you got over there, Laurel. <laughs> Nothing because you, you, you responded so eloquently (laughs) and brought up all the things and yeah. And I mean, it's exactly why though we say postpartum is forever because it, it is this continuous journey of healing and, and whether your birth was, had some trauma in it, whether your birth went the way you envisioned, it's still a transformative process. So there's going to be some layers that you have to touch, touch on and, 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 and deal with. And so, you know, um, it's forever and it's, and it's continuous. And especially when you start adding, if you expand your family more than once, it's, you know, it's like re re injuring that same wound. Um, and so you do, you have to, you have to apply pressure to it and figure out like, what is it that I need? I need to, I need to look over this time. Yes. So to, to exactly what you said with um, 
I didn't even realize that until I said it in this moment of um, something I wrote down this morning, actually, which is that sometimes we invalidate our own experiences. And so to the point of me initially saying, oh, you know, I didn't have anything major there. And then like, well, okay, you know, my husband was gone the entirety of the time. Um, For whatever reason, that popped in my head this morning. Um, Just the thought that sometimes we invalidate our own experience, either based off of our own I guess comparing our current state with maybe another time where like, well, it was worse, you know, at that time, or even with other people, right, where for me as a married woman, I can go to, well, a single mother who does not even have that partner, they have it harder than I do, and use that as a way of completely like erasing the fact that I get to feel sad or upset or Um, feel like I don't have that support. Um, And so that was something that I actually wrote down this morning and it's popping up because I just completely am like, yeah, like that wasn't a big deal, but it really um, was a big piece of not just uh, not having him there, right? But again, he, so when I talk to other families about preparing for birth, I always talk to them about the holistic preparation, right? So not just do all the physical things and eat good exercise, do the floats or whatever, but also where are you at mentally? Where are you at emotionally? Where are you at spiritually? And so he, my husband is a big piece of that mental where I get to unpack the day with him and I get to talk to somebody who gets it. I get to have that sounding board and I'm not keeping things in. And especially emotionally, he does, you know, show up for me emotionally and hears me and really sees me. He's like one of the few people in life who really see me and who don't just see, um, I feel like I've had labels over life, like especially high school is people used to just call me cheerleader. I used to be a cheerleader, but my name wasn't Deja. It was like, hey, cheerleader, or, you know, you know, hey, A plus or something, just these boxes that like, you don't see me. You see the the work that I do or the things I'm interested in or my accomplishments or whatever it is. You don't see me, though. And so not having him there day to day and then the type of work that he was doing, we were never really even able to communicate on a consistent, regular basis. And so that piece was missing. Um, so thankfully, I did get, you know, that emotional support through other Um, people who get it. So other birth workers, that was the beautiful part of being pregnant this time around was I'm connected to this huge network of people who really get it, who get what it's like being pregnant, who get what I'm trying to work towards. So that was fun for me to have people who were in my corner from the jump, who found out like, oh, you're pregnant and who we're providing that support naturally because it's just innately in most people who are called to the work. Um, and so I did have that emotional side of things. Um, and mentally though, just, yeah, just hearing that question is just for me personally. I know for other people, there are so many factors that come into play when it comes to actually taking the steps to be in the room with somebody or, you know, if it is virtual, get on that call and start therapy. But for me, it's something that I know I needed and I still chose not to do. So that's why that question was interesting because I was like, so I know what I needed to do 
and um, just didn't make that choice at that time. I think more so from a comparison standpoint of, oh, it's not as, I'm not as bad as I was at that time. So I'm good. Like, I don't really need that. And um, yeah, I just, I want, I preach so much to other people about thriving and not just surviving. And so I don't think that was fully coming into play in my own pregnancy. It wasn't fully like, I think it came into play physically, obviously, because I, I have, I was there every week, you know, um, but in other aspects, I wasn't seeking to thrive fully. It was just kind of like, this is good enough. I'm not like doing horribly. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of like my pregnancy. It was pretty, I don't want to say textbook, but it was pretty textbook in the way it was uneventful, nothing crazy popped up. I knew that this time around, I wanted to have my home birth again. So it didn't, my first experience of not being able to have my baby in the way that I planned to didn't necessarily make me feel this time around, oh, I don't want to try that again. I was very much like, nope, we do want to do this. And so I did find somebody in the area. Um, actually, she's not in the area. So I'm in middle Georgia. She is in Atlanta. So not a super far commute, but it wasn't anybody in my local community who looked like me. So there are midwives here. I'm in Warner Robins for anybody who knows who's a Georgia person. So I'm in middle Georgia, um, but nobody who looked like me. And I was determined. I was like, I, for me, right? I am not going to the hospital. I am not going there. And so we are going to find who's going to come here because I'm not going there. And so thankfully I did connect with a midwife from Atlanta, um, Sakisa Berry for anybody out there. Again, my Georgia folks who know who she is. Um, and just, oh my gosh, it was such a lovely experience to have a midwife the way that I wanted, a home birth midwife, a black midwife, who was just this calming presence every single time that we were in each other's space. Um, and so I went that route. I got my doula. I already mentioned that when I peed on the stick and found out I was immediately calling up somebody I knew, Susan. Um, she is Susan, the birth doula on Instagram, I think. And I immediately was like, Hey, I'm pregnant. You, you're good. You're going to come. Okay, cool. And so I had my supports lined up and again, just want to hit the fact that like, I think in pregnancy, I didn't spend enough time just with the fact that I was pregnant and that I was growing this life and that those changes were happening outside of just the event, right? Like sprinting towards the the goal of the birth experience. And so if anything that I can highlight about kind of the preparation aspect, and that's more helpful for me now in supporting other people and preparing, it's like preparation is so important for the birth, yes. And also right now, beautiful things are happening. And so like, how can we sit in what's currently happening while preparing for that without sprinting towards this finish line. Enjoy it, right? Soak it in. I think we put, especially as Black women, because we're bombarded by the statistics of of what goes wrong in our experiences, there is so much emphasis on you need to prep, you need to be prepared, you need to have all these things. And then we forget to sit in the moment of actually experiencing um creating life, being in that moment. So I, I, 
appreciate you bringing you bringing that to light for sure. That reminds me of um, when Toni Morrison spoke about how many, I think it was Toni Morrison, she spoke about how many authors and, you know, artists and things had to focus their work on, like, black pride and power and trying to, like, speak out about racial inequalities and things and how much of their work went into that and had they not had to deal with racism and oppression, what other work could have came from them and it's almost like that within a pregnancy we're so busy trying to stay alive that you can't just pause in the simple joy and the miracle of a pregnancy period the pregnancy itself is the miracle people every day are trying to get pregnant it has to happen at an exact perfect timing for a person even someone who's having sex every day with their husband like it's It has to happen at the exact, it's a miracle right there at the point that you peed on the stick. And like, we need to be able to to sit in that. It's a miracle right there. All this extra work that we have to do to keep ourselves alive in a system that, you know, I'm not going to even go there any further, but because there's so much more to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, I, I mentioned before we hit record that I didn't know where this conversation will even go because I haven't really unpacked this as much because it wasn't as hmm I don't even know the words I want to use it wasn't I don't want to say it wasn't as eventful that sounds very dismissive right pregnancy again like you said is a miracle birth in and of itself is beautiful it just wasn't as crazy as it was the first time around that I haven't sat with and really unpacked well how did this make me feel and what do I actually think about this aspect um and to your point I can very much see now in my own experience where it's a it's an act of survival of trying to prevent something from happening right it's like preparation yes for a beautiful experience but also my determination that like I can't go to the hospital is like well you know again me in hindsight now I'm like okay well what's what's that about like how do we sit with that more where it's not just preparing for to thrive right I'm preparing to survive I'm still in that survival aspect of like how can I do everything possible to not have that happen again Ooh, yeah that's that's my pregnancy though it was pretty um straightforward though no no health complications um everything was looking good from start to finish my baby was a very much more calmer baby than my first daughter as far as like she was active just more gentle and and had like regular days like times in her day when I knew she was gonna be up at this time Um, but the pregnancy itself was still overall like a very beautiful easy I would describe it um, time just not as like not as loud not as loud as the first pregnancy and birth experience was where it was just so much happening and so I keep coming back to that we excuse our own experiences because because it's not as crazy and as loud and as chaotic it it I don't or a lot of us don't sit in how beautiful it still is and even though there's not the chaos I think like in life not just pregnancy and birth but Sometimes for people who have a background of 
chaos and trauma and toxic relationships that when you've healed or you are on your healing journey and you've gotten to a space where things are more quiet and and you have more space for rest and the chaos is not happening, then it's kind of like it can be uncomfortable where it's kind of like, well, you know, nothing's, nothing's going on right now. And you kind of like either make your own stuff or again, in this aspect, reflect and don't see the full, the fullness of what was going on because it wasn't as crazy as that time. So yeah, I'm, I'm getting a lot from this conversation more than I even was aware of in the first place. That's the the beauty of being able to unpack, right? In a space like this, um, you get to feel it all and see and, and actually allow things to come up. So we're grateful that you're doing that with us today. Um, can you tell us about the birth? Oh, yes, yes. So I assumed in my head the whole entire pregnancy for whatever reason. I assumed I was for sure going to be pregnant until at least 40 weeks, if not later. I just told myself that, made up in my head that I'm going to be having this baby sometime after 40 weeks. Um, I was 39 weeks and four days. Um, well, I guess it would be three days because the day before. So this was Halloween, Halloween of 2022. And I was 39 weeks, like I said, three days at that point. And I scheduled a hair appointment. So I scheduled to get my hair braided, thinking again that I had another, I have another at least, you know, four or five days before this baby is going to come. So I was sitting in the braider's chair, getting small, knotless braids to my butt done, which was taking hours and having contractions very regularly, but not to the point where I'm like, this is labor. It was more like things are progressing. The baby's going to be here in the next week. And so the braider, very sweet lady was just kind of like, you know, is this, am I doing it too tight? Is your neck uncomfortable? And I was like, oh no, you know, I'm just having like some contractions. And the way her hands sped up braiding my hair with like, you are not about to have this baby here. I was impressed. I was like, she was going fast and then she like sped it up three times faster than I thought was possible. Cause I guess she was like, no ma'am, like we about to get you out of here. So I'm going to get you out of here and make sure your hair is done. <laughs> right. Yes. So I'm thinking again, I'm getting my hair braided and I have like a week or so until this baby is coming. She finished my hair. Um, they weren't like, my contractions weren't like, super consistent in that again I was like this this is labor it was just more of like hey every 30 minutes or so something's going on I'm kind of shifting a little bit but nothing that is like hey I have to get up and move around or I you know I can't do this appointment um she finishes my hair she does a phenomenal job that is the best my hair has ever looked braided phenomenal worth every every dollar that she asked for I happily handed her over all of that money um I was about 30 minutes away from my house so I you know drove back and I sat in the car so it was like in the afternoon it was maybe like 2 p.m on Halloween when I was sitting in the car and I talked with a couple of people one family member and then I talked with my doula and I was kind of expressing um a little bit of 
fear around not wanting this to be prodromal labor. And so my first experience, I had prodromal labor for about a week with my daughter. And so this time around, my kind of looming thoughts in the back of my head was that I didn't want to lose stamina. I didn't want to be having prodromal labor and then anticipating that this might be it and then lose what I needed for my actual labor. And so I was talking with a few people on the phone in the car after getting my hair braided and just kind of like, hey, I don't know, a little something's happening. I just really don't want this to be prodromal labor. But still in the back of my head, I'm like, but the baby's not. I'm like, I don't want this to be prodromal labor, but also I don't think the baby's coming anyway until like next week. Everybody's like, relax, everything's okay. Everything is happening as it should. Again, why I got a doula so that I could not try to do it myself. Okay, hang up the phone. I go in the house. Um, I'm spending time with my husband and my daughter. And again, I just think like things were just happening as they should. It was just like, like we usually spend time together as a family, but this specific day, it was just very intentional. Like she wanted, my daughter wanted to have like a birthday party for one of her stuffed animals. So we made like party hats. We got an actual cake for the stuffed animal and we ate the cake, of course. Um, we played games. And so it was like a really great like bonding experience that I didn't even know was like our last time bonding in this dynamic before a baby was coming. So we got to spend that day just doing our family thing very intentionally. And then 5 p.m., I remember that distinctively, 5 p.m. on Halloween rolled around. And I was like, mm-mm. I was like, the contractions had still been coming sporadically at this point, but they started getting to the point where when we were playing, um, I think it was Uno, I was having to stand up and kind of like sway a little bit through each contraction. And so I was like, mm, you know, okay, frequency increasing, intensity increasing, you know, all my, again, the back of my head stuff going doula-wise. I was like, okay, this is something. Um, and so we kind of like wrapped up the stuff that we were doing. And if I'm 100% honest, between 5 p.m. and like 8 p.m., it's very much a blur for me. I just know I was in the house moving around probably I think I ate dinner I think I remember like hey while you're still feeling decent like just eat dinner just in case even though I'm denying that this could really be labor um, but just kind of like moving around and working through the contractions but I'm still not like this is it um, for whatever reason 8 p.m though I was like no we need to start I need to at least let somebody know that this could possibly be something with my midwife being an hour and a half away and my doula being about two and a half hours away. I was like, I need to at least tell somebody a little something is going on. And so I let everybody know, hey, this is what's been going on throughout the day. Um, a big part of my labor that I still don't have answers for, and this was happening around that 8 p.m. mark, I started to have pain that was at the bottom of my belly. So pain that was like, at like, hmm, how do I describe it? Not like my pubic bone, like it was on my belly, but way at the very bottom underside, underside. And so every contraction I had, it was a sharp pain. So it wasn't like a contraction that I always describe to people, couples, or like women who are like, describe to me what I can expect or how do I cope and where I tell them, hey, you know, 
don't fight it, just go with it. And, and, you know, it's meant to do all these things. It was like a sharp, almost stabbing pain, every single contraction. And so, I mean, it was, it was way more than anything I experienced with my first daughter. So that stood out very early on to me and it was happening every contraction. So let my midwife know I wasn't necessarily concerned about it. I was just more so like, in my head, like, what can I do to relax enough that this is not happening? And so between 8 to about 12, so between like 8 p.m. to about 12 p.m. was the time where I was trying to solidify for myself that like things, this is actually happening. So I got in the tub, um, had a warm bath, things did not slow down. They were just picking up while I was there and that's I think when I finally was like accepting like oh it's I'm going to have this baby because like I'm relaxing I'm in this water things should be slowing down they are not slowing down and so I let my midwife know and my doula around like 11 p.m to midnight-ish like yeah I think this is happening and so they were on their way um at the point of me getting out of the bath pretty much from that point until 5 a.m. ish so from like midnight to 5 a.m. ish again my for whatever reason I don't even know where this kind of fear came from about stamina and maybe it was from my first birth experience my first birth experience I went into labor like Friday evening and didn't have my daughter until like early Monday morning so it was like days where I was in labor, you know, things were happening where we went from home to hospital. Of course, once I got to the hospital, not knowing everything that I know now, I wasn't really eating like that. We weren't sleeping. And so it was days that I was in labor. Um, And so I think that probably played into a part this time around where I was thinking stamina. And I was like, I just need to have enough stamina to see this through. And so once I got out of the tub, from about midnight to 5 a.m., I was laying in my bed trying to like sleep through as much as I could in between contractions. But that pain at the bottom of my belly, and it was like one little spot too. It wasn't like wrapping around, like when my midwife was on her way trying to get me to explain what I was feeling. It wasn't like what I described to other people or even what I felt the the first time around. It was like this very small spot that was just like stabbing. And so early, very early before the point that I even had my baby, I, through each contraction, and I know all the coping, you know, do this and breathe this way and do horse lips. And I know all the things. I was screaming, high pitched screaming every time that I had a contraction. And Uh, My doula wasn't here yet, so it was just me and my husband for a little point in time, and he's just kind of like, I don't know, you know, what is going on, and what, you know, he's trying to figure out, and so um, my midwife gets here maybe about 2 a.m., and she's just, oh my gosh, the most wonderful person in the world, she just like comes in the room, doesn't say anything, and not in a bad way doesn't say anything, but she's not the again, a lot of times what can happen in the hospital spaces of we come in, let's flip on the lights, what's going on, what, you know, what are the vitals and all the stuff. She just came in very peacefully and um, she was just there. And again, me, my overthinking brain, I'm like, am I okay? What's going on? 
do I need to do something different? Do you want me to get up? And she's like, it's, it's okay. You know, just let me, you know, we're just here. I'm just here to like sit and just be in the space, not to come and take charge. I'm just here to like be with what's been happening before I even came here. And so, um, she checked all my vitals, all that good stuff. I'm looking good. Baby's looking good, but we still have no explanation at this point of what's this pain that I'm feeling. And so again, between that 12 a.m. to like 5 a.m. point, I was like, I want to be laying in this bed on my side. I don't want to get up and do anything because I don't want to do all the tricks and do all the things and burn myself out was just what's in my head. Um, but ultimately what I found out was probably again, kind of slowing things down, but I was like, no, I was determined, like, I'm going to lay here, even though I'm not peacefully comfortable laying here, I'm going to lay here. I'm not about to get up and move around. Um, the funny thing is had my doula been here at that time, I, I'm pretty sure she would have been the person like, come on, man, we need to like do a couple of things. I hear you, but we need to start moving around. Um, so I definitely think this story would have been a different story, possibly faster had she been here. Um, and so during that period of time, my husband was just here, you know, holding my hand and had the fan on me. And um, he was just present. He was like my doula. This the same way he was kind of like the first time around. And so when 5 a.m. rolled around, again, up until this point, I had kind of been asking my midwife kind of like why why is why do I have this pain when I am doing all the things that I feel should not eliminate it but all the things that I describe to everybody else that help them to have a more comfortable experience where they don't describe it as as unbearable why am I having an unbearable experience and I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do so this seems to be a reoccurring thing in my life as well where I always do check boxes for myself and saying like, I, I did everything. So why am I not getting this experience? And so that was really hard throughout the labor to have that intensity of pain in one spot that wasn't really explainable or something that I had heard of or supported anybody through. So I didn't have anything to go to. I didn't have like, oh, you're having back labor. Here's, you know, we need to do this to help ease that. Oh, you know, um, you're uncomfortable in this position, let's change. It was just a stabbing pain in one spot that there was nothing to do but to like ride it every time, ride the wave. And so around 5 a.m. though, my midwife was like the most lovingly way of expressing to me like, hey, I hear you, I see you, I get it, I know you're tired, but we are gonna have to get up. Like we're gonna have to try something different um, and so I did get up and between five to like 7 a.m. I was up, I was moving through squatting, which was just the most mentally, it wasn't even physically hard because my husband was supporting me, supporting my weight. It was mentally the thought every time of right before this contraction is coming and I'm supposed to be sinking down just the mental aspect of like, it's such a vulnerable position as is. And then in, in that state being in labor, like to be, my butt is inches from the floor. 
and I'm going through this contraction, I still have this stabbing pain. Um, but essentially what we were trying to work through and what she was suggesting is um, for anybody who's pregnant who has heard of like having a pendulous belly. So a belly that is very forward and a lot of time like dropping down where the baby is not necessarily in a position where they are feet completely up and head down. They're kind of like head down, but the body is kind of hanging out a little bit because of just the way that the belly um, is supporting them. And so that was my belly. The same way with Kaya, it was pendulous, very out and very down is the same way it was with this baby. And so she was like, we need to help this baby get engaged. We need to help this baby come down and we need to do like this, um, like this abdominal lift and tuck is what's called. So spinning babies, y'all. Spinning babies has something called the abdominal lift and tuck, which is essentially right before you have the contraction, gently you, you or your support person is lifting the belly up and back. And so it's helping to like, again, like bring the baby into a more optimal position. So we were doing this lift and tuck during every contraction and I was sinking down into a squat. And so it was such a like mental, like, oh my gosh, like I'm really in it. Like I'm in this type of position. Um, and so doing that, doing like lunges and I could feel, I could feel that things were shifting. I could feel the point that my baby really got engaged. I could feel some little turns that were happening. And so things sped up quickly. Um, I think something else that was happening at that time, again, that was like the double-edged sword of being a doula. I had in my head, you know, contractions during this phase of labor are generally, you know, 30 to 45 seconds long. And during transition, they are. So I have these textbook numbers in my head, even though I know and I have supported people where these numbers, not that they mean nothing, but really like let it go, right? Put put the timer down, let it go. And so I know that, but I still in my head, even though I'm not tracking on my phone, in my head, I'm, I have like, I'm like adding up and I'm like reaching the point of transition that I don't realize is transition where the contractions are like on top of each other. And I'm looking at my midwife and I'm literally telling her, I'm like, why, why is this like this? You know, what is happening? This is not, I kept telling her like, this is not how it's supposed to be. And again, why I love her so much. She was just had the most loving look on her face where it's just like, baby, this is not textbook, you know, like you, you're in it and this is your experience. And so it messed with me to have the information um, for me. It messed with me. I'm, I'm always one to share with people that knowledge is power, right? And that knowing how the body works, knowing what the baby is doing, that all of those things are, they can be to benefit so that you are aware of like what's going on so that you are not um, afraid when you hit transition and you're wondering, you know, things are speeding up so that you have some context. But for me, it worked in a way that because things weren't going by the book or hitting these certain time frames that yeah I was just looking at my midwife multiple times like this is not how it's supposed to be and so actively 
I wouldn't say fighting the contractions per se, but I was not mentally in my labor at all. And this, I was not allowing this experience to unfold as it was going to. It was more, again, I did what I was supposed to do this time around. Why am I not having this, you know, not even pain-free? I wasn't even trying to achieve, like, I don't want to feel anything. I'm just like, why am I feeling it in this way? Um, and then definitely at the point of hitting transition and not realizing it was transition when the contractions were like on top of each other, I'm like counting in my head. And I'm like, I know that was more than 60 seconds. I'm like, I know, I know that was like, that was two minutes or something. And so I'm getting closer to the point of having my baby, but I'm not really even realizing it because I'm still, I'm still, I guess, at the point of denying that this is going to happen like I get to have my baby at home so I'm still in denial that like oh things are going to unfold in the way that I prepare for them to and I'm still just kind of like not connecting the dots like okay stronger contractions they're more frequent that means the baby is coming I'm not putting those things together I'm more like this is not how it's supposed to be um somebody tell me what are we supposed to be doing right now um so instinctively this was definitely an instinctive part where i went from um, being standing up swaying doing these squats with uh, my husband supporting me to telling my midwife essentially i was like i don't know if i said i can't do this but just something along the lines of oh i said something like i need help i was like i need help i like i need this to be different and so um i was like i need the ball i got down on the floor and I was leaning over the ball and that instantly was relief for me to be able to lean over the ball and like rest my head and it was instant relief and I mean like not even a full five minutes I don't know how long I was in that position my water broke and so my water broke and then that's when I finally after being in labor from 5 p.m. the day before until that moment I finally it clicked for me like oh, I, I am going to have this baby, like it actually is really happening. And so it took that moment for me to really sink into the present moment. So at no point really before was I really present in what was actually happening. It was just, you know, again, the why this and, and why, you know, is it this long? And what about this? And what about in that moment when my water broke, I was like, oh, okay, and the mood lightened and I was a much more like, I don't want to say pleasant, but like my whole, I was just like, okay, like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this. Like the whole idea of what I thought I would be like this time around, um, I doubted myself the whole labor. I doubted the possibility of, of what was going to unfold until that moment. And so my water broke, um, my doula still was not here yet. Um, my midwife was right next to me and my husband was like right behind me. And so I would say between the part of my water breaking um, and when my baby was like crowning, it was such a short span of time. So between like being up, standing and swaying to like getting down on the floor, things happened really, really quickly. Um, and so I could feel her coming down. Um, and then at some point, my husband was saying like, oh, I see some hair. And again, just more and more little pieces for me were like solidifying, like, I get to have this baby at home. Like, I actually get to like do this. Um, 
I would say without all the details, the pushing part was the easiest part of the whole entire labor experience. Like, and I, I've heard people describe that before to me where it's like, it was relief for them to be able to um, have something to focus on, to have, to have this energy to focus in this area. And that was very much my experience where it went from feeling, I didn't feel out of control in my labor. It was more of like, I guess, confusion of like, why, why am I feeling this pain more so in this one spot? Um, to in that moment feeling like I have something to focus my energy on. I know how to like gently breathe in this moment and to follow um, what was happening for me with a fetal ejection reflex. So that was nice to experience this time around where my body was taking over and it wasn't like the initial setting where I was in the hospital space. Um, you know, I was being coached on like, you know, push it this time. And it was a very disconnected experience versus this time. I could feel exactly what was happening. Um, my baby came out maybe like two pushes. It was a very short amount of time. Um, she came trying to like crawl out. So she came out with one hand like by her face and the other hand, she was like trying to like move herself out. And um, I have the video. So my husband was like right behind me, um, flash on. So you can see everything. So that birth video, like, there's no question what is going on, what is happening, at what time. Like, you can see everything. Um, but in that video, it was maybe, like, a couple of minutes before my baby was coming out that my oldest came in the room. So she had woke up. At this point, it was, like, 7.46 or something. She had woke up, kind of came into the room, like, okay, you know, what's going on in here? Um, sat down with my husband. So my daughter had a front bright view of everything that was unfolding. Um, and that video is just like a tearjerker every time because in the video while I'm pushing, she's like, um, I love you, mommy. I love you so much, mommy. And so when my baby Sakina, when she was born and she came out, um same thing she was just like I love you mommy and I just remember I was repeating over and over to my husband like I did it like I did it I had her at home and so it was such a I don't even know if healing is the word I would use just like a uh an experience of like it wasn't until minutes before that I'm having this baby that I'm actually realizing this is actually going to really happen so my birth experience unfolded as I planned for it to in the aspect of having my baby at home, having her vaginally, um, I didn't tear, but the mental aspect of the labor that I always talk to people about with the thriving aspect with feeling loved and being comfortable. And I, I feel like I robbed myself of having that part of the experience because I was so wrapped up in this is not going the way that I thought that it was supposed to go. And so it's such a weird um, thing that describing the birth experience, I got what I wanted. And funny enough, like the, the birth with my daughter, even though um, with Kaya, I didn't get the actual birth experience that I wanted ultimately with moving to the hospital. I felt way more seen and loved on and like, connected during that experience and so it's so we it's complex and every everything is different and it's so 
I don't know, I just have so many layers now that I'm bringing into supporting other people for that reason that I'm like, this does not have any certainties, right? Or any, there is no textbook on what your experience is like and what your feelings are about that experience, regardless of how it unfolded, because it's humans and humans are complex. You did do that. You did that. So there's that. Um, you did that. You did that. And your daughter got to watch you do that. Mm-hmm. She did. And that's something that she's going to hold on to that's just going to do, that's just going to be so beautiful for her. Mm-hmm. It's a core memory for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If she chooses to become a mother one day, she knows it's possible. She knows what her options are. She knows where she comes from. <laughs> and I I appreciate you you speaking to us being humans and that bringing forth life is a very complex situation. <laughs> it's very complex. And again, I mean, you, you've said this, no matter the amount of prep, um, planning experience that we have, birth is going to do what birth is going to do. And it can be tricky trying to get out of the way of birth doing what it what it will do. Mm-hmm. And I think especially we've said this before as birth workers, right? Like we have not only our knowledge from the work, um, but our experience and knowledge for the families that we've supported, that we can sometimes create this story of what it's supposed to be. Um, and why it can be so important to, as a birth worker, make sure you have your own support. But like hearing you say like, this is not, I'm checking off, I checked all the boxes and this doesn't align mm-hmm. and, and how tough that can be to let that go. For sure. And it definitely prepares you even more once you do go back into, you know, supporting people in birth and how you support them, even in the informational stage that you're doing right now. Um, Just these are guidelines. These are these help us to have an understanding, but it makes you learn that much more about what the birthing person is doing during labor and what stage they're in based on how they're acting how they're talking like it helps us to pick up on these other things that are so important that a lot of times when people have especially like out births outside of the home that aren't always noticed aren't always picked up because something is always about like you said the numbers the numbers are like the tracker yes that's that's exactly um what i felt after this experience was that it provided me another layer of context for taking taking what I know to be true, which is that every pregnancy is different, every birth is different. Um, and like it actually was applied where I was like, oh, it really is um, it really is different and 
I just, it's birth is humbling. I guess that's the best way I can put it. It's a very humbling experience where it's like, great, all that stuff that you did to get to this moment, fantastic. And also this is still going to unfold as it will. Um, and it's funny enough, like I, I wrote an affirmation. So I made my own affirmations that are still on my wall because it takes me forever to take down my home birth setup, obviously, because this is the second time that the stuff is still up. But I wrote an affirmation on the wall of, you know, like surrender. I think that's just one word that I put on there. Um, and that's something that is like a, a constant thing for me that I actively have to seek out, right? Like I don't have to actively try to prepare for things. I'm like an over-preparer, an over-researcher. But that piece of like prepare and then let go, that let go part is what I have context for now with going into any potential future birth experiences that I have myself and supporting other people is prepare, yes, know all the things, great, set up the birth space, get the tips and tricks, and then let go, prepare, and then let go. Surrendering does not come easy. Surrendering does not come easy. And, you know, we, I'm so glad that we have such beautiful, such large spaces to share information. Um, but I think we miss, like you said, the humbling part that birth does that raw, the rawness of birth. We miss it in those tiny reels and those box pictures, um, of just how intense it can be, no matter what your birth looks like, um, the surrendering part, right? When you have to make a decision from plans because because something shifted in the birth, um, when birth is just doing its doing what birth does, and you have to shift, but that surrender piece is so important and can be really hard to do because it's it's scary not knowing what is on the other side of this, what's on the other side of this contraction, what is on the other side of this decision. Um, it can be scary. What is on the other side once this baby is here? Mm -hmm. Tell us about your postpartum. How are things? Three months postpartum. Yes, that's that's where, again, before we hit record and whenever I get the question nowadays of, you know, how are you? I always, I'm a, I'm a pretty honest answer anytime that somebody asks, how are you? I'm a, I'm a person where... If I'm not good, I'm not going to give you, you know, the whole book story, but I'm going to tell you, like, today is not a great day. Um, but postpartum has been such a um, complex, back to complex, a complex experience of having all these feelings that exist at the same time. Um, and so my postpartum experience with my first, my oldest, was... The onset of why it was hard was the birth experience. So the birth experience being so hard catapulted me into feeling unsure about everything, into trying to process that birth for like, it was maybe like a full two years of really trying to like come to terms with what had happened. Um, and so I had like debilitating postpartum depression and anxiety with my oldest where I could not do for myself I could not um 
I describe it as to my husband, like, uh, the dishes felt like, it felt like I could not do things. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm tired right now and I need some support. It was like, I feel like I physically can't do things in life that I was doing before because of anxiety, because of being depressed and having moments of staring at the wall for 30 minutes, just completely like having these experiences, not having the words to put to what I was experiencing. And so this time around, knowing all the information around postpartum mood disorders, knowing the resources that are available, the warning signs, all the different things, I've had a completely different experience mentally. So I do have not had that, what I had the first time around with feeling like I was having an out-of-body experience. Um, and so this comes back to the, we invalidate our own experiences sometimes. So I, yes, whenever I get that question, it's that in comparison for me, and I always default to like, I'm good, I'm doing fine, because in comparison to where I was at after I had Kaya, it's a wildly different space that I'm in mentally. But I'm experiencing the same things that I hear a lot of people echo in their postpartum experience with not having support, not having um, somebody to care for them as they are caring for the child. So again, my main source is my husband and he is like the village. He is the person who is there, um, you know emotionally and mentally and and who is you know financially supportive and he is like the all-in-one person and so with us being each other's he's counting on me I'm counting on you and there's not really another more hands in the mix to support through the early postpartum experience um I think again I invalidate my own experience where I'm like having to be honest with myself and I'm like I'm not good like I have good moments and I'm I'm good mentally where I don't feel that I have to the degree what I had with postpartum depression and anxiety where like I needed immediate help but just like postpartum in general not having hands-on support having somebody to really check in and say how are you really not just like are you getting by every day but like how are you really and how can I support you right now? I don't know if it's because I support other families that there's this dismissal that I need my own support as well. And that um, I don't, uh, what's the words that I'm looking for? Just that, yeah, that I need to support myself. That I, I The same way that I saw a doula in pregnancy and birth was the same way that right now I need support during the postpartum period that is just not happening. Um, like like a lot of people who don't have the um, financial means to take an extended maternity leave, that's my story this time around, that the first time around I was in the military, um, they have like 12 weeks paid leave, which is still not enough. I feel like this country is slacking as a whole when it comes to you know maternity and paternity leave, but 12 weeks paid leave is a lot compared to what's going on in the country as a whole. Um, this time around, things are different. I have, you know, the doula side of things, supporting families that, you know, I'm not in the space to show up in that way, so that's not happening. Um, other things that I was doing, entrepreneur side, um, supporting people, I'm having to take like an unpaid leave at a point in time where 
now with my husband coming from what he was doing to be here in the postpartum period, we took a huge pay cut from what he was doing when he was gone. And now I wasn't getting paid while on maternity leave. And so all of the financial pressures, I mean, that weighing with not having hands-on support, it's like, I have to remind myself and not just be like, I'm good, I'm good. I'm like, I'm not, like, I'm not good. I'm not in a space where this is like, again, we're not, I'm not thriving in my postpartum the way that I um, share with other people to prepare for their postpartum. Um, Not through lack of preparation for this space, but just again, through lack of having just willing hands to say, I'll be there for you, you know, in the way that you need right now. Um, and so things are overwhelming and stressful and and I went back to work way sooner than I was ready. Um, yeah, just I think that's that's the main thread right now is that I'm having to remind myself it's okay to feel disappointed and not having the support that I desire, even though I'm not as bad as I was after I had Kaya. I'm not as in the deep depths of depression. It's still okay to say, hey, I'm not where I would like to be right now. I'm not feeling as great as I would like to feel right now. Thank you for that, for sharing the, the, that, that, that reality. Also, I think for yourself, being, being honest about that for yourself, because you're allowed to, you don't have to, like you said, invalidate your experience. That's what's happening to you right now. That's how you feel right now. And you are allowed to to have all of that as you try to figure out how to get to that thriving point. Mm -hmm. Just because it wasn't what it was, it still is right now happening to you. And it's make and you feel overwhelmed in it. Country is trash for not building. (laughs) We won't do that today, but for not building the structures that we need to be able to thrive in these experiences. You know, so that we're not piecemealing together. Well, that's because it was built by men, um, designed by men. Mm-hmm. I'll say built by men. Um, these structures in business. I, actually, this week I was um, listening to a female CEO talking about the benefits at um, her company, and one of them was um, extending bereavement for miscarriages. And that's like. Duh, right? But in most companies, that's not what you would get bereavement for. Like, who is not thinking of just the humanness of the experience of being, like, an employee with a life that's happening, right? Um, And all the things that come and go, things that shift and change on a regular basis, whether you've created a family or not, right? Um there's always something that can be done, right? It's a matter of who's going to do it and how we support it, how we make ourselves heard and, and seen for that. Because like you said, 12 weeks, that is like the standard for a lot of places now that do actually offer it. But then sometimes it's like, yeah, you get 12 weeks, but does the partner get 12 weeks? Or, you know, like there's just this whole nothing's consistent, one, Um, And people literally have to fight for things like this. That's not okay. I say thinking about consistency as birth workers, 
how inconsistent, um, especially when you're working on a more, um, not independent, but when you're not maybe in a collective or in an organization that has that foundation, how inconsistent being able to give support can be, right? Three months postpartum, trying to be on call at a birth is just, to be able to give to the families the support that they deserve, that's just not where you're, that's just not, that's not a capacity you can hold. Um, so how do we, I think it's also that question of like, how do we support the supporters in this work? Babies continue to happen, right? Like just how do we support supporters? Yeah. How do we actually make this collective community care? Mm-hmm. It really is. <laughs> right. We're not going to go there today, but, <laughs> but, um, in order to hold up others, we have to be held too. That's a whole, a whole piece that goes to my mind. I'm not sure if the people around me are not getting the full depth of what I'm expressing when I say I'm overwhelmed right now. And I think it's very, well, it's baby number two, one, like this is not your first time around. And then also a, like, you know, you know what to expect type of thing. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't negate, like, again, the whole human has been drained. Again, the knowledge does not make needing support go away. And so it is actually to your point, Aaron, who's supporting the supporters is a whole conversation that needs to be had because yeah, like my, I, I know that I could not show up fully for people in the way that I would like to and to be able to hold that space for them when I'm like, I'm not getting that. And so I can't, I can't even give what I don't have right now. That's it. That's it. When you think about that, what are some of the things that you, any like advice or resources that you might have for our listeners as we've kind of brought up a lot of stuff today? Um, is there anything else you want to add or anything that you, we haven't hit that you want to make sure was said? Or if support is not happening in the way that's 
be grounded or depending on the tone of the way that people want to show up, but not what people actually see in their environment or with which I am, right? So it's not somebody who genuinely likes how I am being, and that's what you know helps with this credibility. It's the baby that I am, and so I wish that I had um, an answer to that specifically. I call it some of the things that I do know are the things to do are with postpartum doula support or routine meal preparation services or something so she can kind of like delegate. Um, I think what I'm personally leaning into is what some people express back to that aspect where with my husband transitioning to something that's kind of like you can do here with our care date when we don't have the payment of um, parents that we can get help into different areas and so it's always just kind of like how I balance the scale with at what cost do I see having my husband away to receive receive these type of support but now he can't you know have him here but now we don't have him here and so um hmm weird topic well for me I mean me as a doula kind of puts the burden on me to speak where things stand but I would be a hundred percent lying because I'm still trying to figure out that birth piece where it's like, God, I need to know how how is the birth? What for myself? What is the birth? What for the people I'm closest to who are counting on me? A lot of people they're partners, right? They're people who don't have to be counting on their partners to be around for their financial stability or mental well being. It's like I'm with whom I have and who have nobody else that they know that they can count on personal standpoint, a lot for partners who have to be with two people or more, um, so that's something that I really am actively exploring, I just graduated from clinical high school and I retired four years ago, and I'm so scared and terrified, and it's funny because I didn't have it at that time because I was going through a grad support, so I wasn't in Dakota, so I'm not close to people in Dakota, um, so now I'm with friends for 13 months but now I have grad support and I'm doing all this great work and I think that's like what it is to be in a place like home that you just like feel like you can't let the hair out so you're kind of like okay I don't know how am I supposed to do all this and what 